Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. If you want to just even play in gray, which by the way is where the love is and all the polarization dissolves, you're vilified. I've had people tell me uh, that compassion was like an irresponsible response. Right. It's like, wow. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, hello, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I have a wonderful guest for you, longtime friend, Danielle Laporte. And we are talking all about what to do in this mad, mad world. <laughs> when the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, how we can actually be more loving, how we can deal with some of the, we'll say, opinions and attitudes attitudes and general tone of the world when we don't necessarily agree with things. And we're talking about her new book, similarly titled How to Be Loving. So a couple things that we talked about. Uh, first, love, why it feels hard sometimes to love people um, where you have to, let's say, hold space um, for someone when your mind wants, has that tendency to sort of shut it down. We talked about shame and guilt, how we can forgive our parents, how we can forgive people who have wronged us and how we can forgive ourselves for the wrongs that we have done. We talk about boundaries, um, how we manifest, um, how we can choose loving thoughts, the quality of our thoughts, how the ego can play into that and really why the ego is not something that we need to slay or kill, but it's really a gift for us to show us who we truly are and how to reintegrate a lot of the uh, different parts of ourselves. So I, in the show, you'll hear me talk about, you know, sloth Steffi and unproductive Steffi and lazy Steffi and all of these uh, personas or fragmented parts that I, in my own journey, have sort of run away from. And I only listen to like hyperproductive Stephanie and cerebral Stephanie. Uh, so we talk about um, that and we integrate that with a conversation about reparenting what the inner child actually is. It's not, you know, a stunted 
seven-year-old that's living within all of us. And then we talk about what she describes in the book as her seven virtues, divine love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, wisdom, resilience, and radiance. I think this is going to be a fabulous conversation for anybody who wants to learn how to forgive, how to be more loving and centered, because how we treat others is often a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. All the Karens and all the, I don't know what the male equivalent of that is, Josh's, I'm sorry for all of you who know a Josh, I don't know, I don't even know if that's the word, but all the Karens, all of the, you know, the inner sort of rage machine within us, how we can deal with that and be more loving. So without further delay, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with my dear friend, Danielle Laporte. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. My friend, Danielle Laporte, welcome back to the show. So Hello, happy. Dr. Estima. <laughs> 
no formalities with you, Stephanie, please. Um, it is so good to see you. I had the pleasure of spending some time with you just a couple of weeks ago, actually, when you were, when you were in, uh, in Toronto for Changemaker. And, uh, I've actually, I've been watching your video. It's so good. Like your talk mm. was so mm. good. Mm. Um, we, so we're going to talk, we're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about your new book, how to be loving and why this is so desperately, um, needed right now. Mm -hmm. Before we get lost in that conversation, I do want to pick up, um, we were having a conversation at, uh, at Changemaker in Toronto and I want to make it, I want to share an observation with you. And I want to know if this has been the same, um, for you. So I think that when you're in the right relationship, whether it's with a partner or you've been able to fall in love more deeply with yourself, that your face changes. <laughs> <laughs> Asking the important questions here today. Yeah. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll say it because when I first started dating Giovanni, people were saying, oh my, people have, I haven't seen in a while, let's say, oh, you look so great. And you had made a comment about Gio in Toronto uh, and you said, you know what, he's been doing some healing. And the words that you said, and I quote, were on a soul level. And, you know, you had no context, let's say, but he really has been like, there's been such an up leveling um, with him. And um, yeah, so I, I've noticed this when, you know, I first started dating Gio, where people were making comments. I've had like intense therapy uh, sessions where I've sort of broken my heart open. Like I've taken unwrapped all the thorns that I've, you know, that I've, um, you know, magically put around my heart to protect it. And people would make, like I had a friend, one of my very good friends, we've been friends for years, didn't recognize me when we were in the same, like we had entered the, an event together and I went to like say hi to him. And he sort of looked at me like, uh, Hi. I don't know yeah. Yeah. Has, mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? I know that you're with your, I know you, you and your man have been together uh, like 18 ish or so months now, yeah. but has, have, yeah. have people made the same comment to you? Have you made that same observation? I haven't really left the house since I met him. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not getting that. Not I getting wanted that. to say like, oh yeah, everybody's talking about how radiant I am. I think, you know, the observation that I get mostly is that I'm gentle. Yes. It's like an energy thing. Yeah. And that is a consistent across the board. That's like people who know me and then people who are just, you know, it's like professional getting interviewed kind of context. Yeah. yeah. Is like there is a kind of before and after. And I think, you know, being with my guy now, it's just sort of sealed what was already underway. Yeah. Yeah. And your own, and your own leveling up and your own, um, transmutation or transcendence into being loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wanted to share that with you. Um, I think that right now, when we look at the sort of state of the world, uh, I think both as a collective, you know, the collective state. And I would say the, at the individual, if we listen to, you know, the data and the outcry from our mental health professionals, I think that we are collectively and individually lost, angry, scared. Yeah. Um, the world feels kind of impossible. It feels like, you know, we have all these categories that we have to sort of pick a side for, you know, you are, uh, 
I don't know, racist, anti-racist, vaccinated, not vaccinated. You're pro-life, you're pro-choice, you're pro-climate change, you're climate change denier. Denier. You're pro-queen, you're pro-royal family, you're anti-royal family. Like everything right now in the news is, it's actually baiting us to pick sides. Yeah. Yes. I'm so happy you said, because that's what it feels like. It feels like this black ops attempt to say, choose a side. It's black or white. There's no nuance. There's no shades of gray. Um, Mm -hmm. And it does. And if you even want to poke at nuance, there's vilification. Like if you, if you want to just even play in gray, which by the way is where the love is and all the polarization dissolves, you're vilified. I've actually had people, this doesn't happen a lot, but in the last you know, a couple seasons, I've had people tell me uh, that compassion was like an irresponsible response. Right. I was like, wow. You know, what I'm, what I'm proposing is that we see the truth in everybody's situations, try and find some common ground here. And that was just, I was called irresponsible. And which I, which is shocking. It, I mean, it, it, there there used to be this sort of, and I used to even sort of, you know, give almost like give myself a lobotomy at how hard I would roll my eyes at like the word tolerance. I was like, oh, tolerance, <laughs> you know, but like tolerance was like, you know, you and I can disagree and I'm still going to talk to you and I'm going to tolerate, I'm using air quotes for those of you listening, uh, your view, but it seems that we've even moved past that now where it's like, if you don't clone my views, you're dead to me. And I'll even, you know, yes, we, the doors are slamming shut, yeah. but there's also this um, part of this dynamic that's going on is that one view, one perspective, it's, it's getting amalgamated with all these other perspectives. So if you, if someone assumes and everything's an assumption, if someone assumes you believe X, then they're also assuming you believe Y and Z as well. Right. Like there's just, it's getting very, very bound and tight. And my way is, I never thought I would say this ever about myself is I stay in my lane and my lane is love. My lane is compassion my lane, like, you know, I kind of in a cheeky way, I've been saying like, everybody right now needs to pick a side, but you pick the side that includes everybody. Right. Like my side is about inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you are on the side of exclusion, oh, it's painful. It's so painful. People don't know the pain that they're in. Like on a cellular level, that's painful. Like it's painful on a cellular level and a soul level. Like it's like, there's so much pain with exclusion. Yes. And what you're saying, I mean, now we could, you know, get into your territory, like painful on a cellular level. I think when you withhold love, when you are not forgiving, it creates energy blocks. I'm sure this could be science backed. I mean, we could measure this with like an an electromagnometer. You know, all this is all the heart math stuff of the frequency that comes off of the heart center, off of the brain, et cetera. When you were having what anybody would call toxic thoughts, exclusionary thoughts, let's say you're withholding love, you create energy blockages, which is just, you know, the simplest way to put that is you create a lot of stress in your nervous system, in your, you know, in your physical container. And that is going to cause problems. 
And so the, just like to put a fine point on this, the withholding of love creates energy blockages, which will affect your physical and mental health period. Yeah. Love is medicine. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I think that I would love for there, I would love for there to be more when I see people that are like, you don't agree with me. So now you're dead to me. Like I remember at least in Canada uh, and, and in Toronto, anyway, it made news when there was a newspaper here, it's called the Toronto star. It's kind of a, you know, left leaning, let's say a newspaper had the front page of it was like, let the unvaccinated people all die. Let them, they don't deserve ICU beds. And, you know, whether or not you chose to take the vaccine completely your choice. Um, unfortunately that we know that there are some people who are coerced to taking it, et cetera, et cetera. But when we see that, let them die, like you're dead to me, or I must cut off all, like I'm going to unfollow and block and all of these kinds of things. It makes me think, and this is, you talk a lot about this in the book, like if you're so willing to, it's, it's easier to do that, let's say to another person, if, if you're able to do that with such ease, then what are you doing to yourself? What are the places, the, the fragments that you've created that mm-hmm. you've locked in the dungeon that you absolutely hate and haven't been able to look at and maybe are acting it out in a different way? Instead of looking inward, you're looking for someone else or some external, let's say, um, way to uh, to rectify some of those feelings that may be you know, percolating up from the from the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not looking at your own stuff. But I think, you know, for someone that's making such hateful, divisive choices like that. And by the way, you know, I was aware of those headlines. I thought that was incredibly irresponsible of the Toronto Star to do. I mean, it's, that's hate speech. And they're putting it on the front cover. And it wasn't to say this is the hate speech that is circulating. It wasn't to shine a light on all the things that are painful and wrong about that. Uh, it was really a, you know, it's bleeding, so let's lead with this. That was really irresponsible journalism. Um, but I think when you when someone is operating at that level of polarized consciousness, they're not even going to think they got stuff in their basement. I mean, the, the way to kind of just soften that paradigm is like, this is damaging for you. Dear person who wants to let fellow humans in the middle of a pandemic die because of their un, their, their choices, things, you know, because they're doing things they're not comfortable with. Do you really want to carry that degree of hate around? Right. Because it's going to affect you. There has to be some kind of, somehow there's got to be a little bit of healthy fear and, you know, conscience stirred up there. And then slowly, 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 (laughs) gradually, that level of consciousness will get down to like, okay, nah, carrying around hate is not good. It's not good for my nervous system. I'm not sleeping. It's not good for my skin. It's, you know, this hate, this anger is coming up in all kinds of relationships. You can't have that. You can't channel that kind of vitriol for one particular person and think that that type of consciousness or lack of consciousness is not going to come out when you're talking to your kids or it's not going to come out in your intimacy or in how you lead. Like it is an energy 
that you are carrying with you, that you are just pointing in one particular direction that day, but it's in you. There's a little monster in you. Everybody got their monsters. Um, yeah, I think when you operate at that degree, you've got to see how it impacts you. And then maybe it'll open up to a more interconnected way of seeing things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to get very upset. Um, I used to get very angry uh, when I would see headlines like on the Toronto star. And I agree like wholeheartedly irresponsible uh, journalism um, at its, you know, at its, at its peak um, hysteria. And I think um, I used to get very angry. I used to notice how it would affect as you, you know, you were saying like, how does that come out with, you know, the way you interact with your kids or your loved ones or, you know, and I would find myself sort of uh, just like replaying it and, you know, how I might respond if I was, you know, I was given the opportunity. And then I sort of came to this place where I was like, you know what, they're just scared. Like so scared. so scared, you know, you see, uh, even today you'll see people, let's say wearing a mask and they're driving a car and there's no one in the car and, and the windows are closed. These people are petrified. Whereas a year or two ago, I would have been like, Oh my God, what, is, what is, I just want to shake them awake, you know, but now I've sort of, you know, I'm still working on it. I still have that sort of primal, like, Oh my God, you're in the car by yourself. Why do you have a mask on? But also how scared are you? You must be, you, this, this whole pandemic, let's say must have identified, you know, activated this core wound of not feeling safe in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we're hearing a lot about people who are, you know, suicidal anxieties off the charts Yeah, and it's getting attributed to the last couple of years. I think that all that stuff has been under the surface and the pandemic is just squeezing it out of people. Yeah. So it's like you've had an unobserved um, ang- level of anxiety before. And this is just this is just the agitator of all the stuff that's been at the bottom of everybody's barrel. And like the beautiful thing is you see people, you go, wow, okay, that's where you're at. For better, for worse. It's just like, wow, okay. I know that you you are processing a lot of fear. Or you have other people, you look at like, wow, you really, you're, you're centered. You are, you have equanimity. Like some people are just completely unruffled by what's gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think the divine is just, just squeezing us so that we detox. This is a, this is a cosmically induced global detoxification. It's ugly and it's amazing. But it needs to be ugly. Like it yeah. could never detoxes be... are ugly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By their nature, they are. Yeah. And I think that this kind of goes back to the heart of, you know, what you're talking about in the book, which is becoming more heart-centered. And you, um, if I may just read a very quick um yeah. line um from your book, you say we don't close our hearts to one another or ourselves or the things that happen. We just shut down our minds like mm-hmm. closing blackout curtains on the sun, mm-hmm. which is just like, you know, when I read that, I was like, of course, you know, as someone who uh, is trying to not be so cerebral all the time um, and trying to get out of How's my it going? <laughs> 
<laughs> you tell me. <laughs> oh, your love. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So, but but it, it 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 really spoke to me. It's like your heart. You know, to get into your heart, it's it's not a uh, it's not something that you do. You already are that, you know, it's like loving. Yes, it can be a verb, but it's also just a state of being right. You can, you can embody, and you talk about this idea of embodying love in every text message, every social post, every email you send, the way you interact with yourself, the way you interact with, you know, you know, the, the person give, making your cup of coffee in the morning. It, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's an all encompassing, um, the way that you talk about it. And, and I would love for you to expand on this is sort of this like divine mother, almost like vast, mm-hmm. and there's no limit. Can you speak a little bit about mm-hmm. what it means to be truly loving? Mm-hmm. Uh, love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. You embody this higher state of consciousness. It's it's a virtue. Love is a soul quality. Love is the stuff that we're made of. You have two, you have yin and yang. You have divine father, divine mother, masculine, feminine. You always need this contrast of forces to make something. And so it's that the love is the magnetism and it's the, you know, it's the offspring. And then when we're in love, when we're being love, it does generate feelings. Like it stirs up stuff in the subconscious self, which by the way, is where all feelings come from, which is like the biggest sort of revelation discovery for me over the last couple of years. Like, you know, this is, this is really what mystics are teaching. This is really what sort of that astral realm is about. Like all of my emotions are like in the basement of my psyche, even my happiness. Yes. Oh, okay. So then being fulfilled and on purpose is about something completely different. Like fulfillment has nothing to do with being in a good mood. Love has nothing to do with being happy. You can feel happy because you're embodying love, but it's this state that then creates these other kind of sub-states, you know? And I think divine love is the state of all states. And then it has these individual expressions, like it's the virtue. So like love gives birth to compassion and to forgiveness. And like, if you go through the list, you know, I, where we focused on seven virtues and how to be loving. And you can think to yourself like, oh, I got generosity down. (laughs) Actually, I didn't write about generosity very much in the book, but you know, or, or like, you know, some people find forgiving really easy. Like, oh, you know, a friend of mine. What's that? <laughs> introduce me to them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like my a friend, you know, Gabby Bernstein is just like, I remember a conversation she had with a, a mutual friend. She's like, you have to remember, I'm really good at forgiving. I was like, yeah, Gabby's good at forgiving. That's her thing. Um, some of us, <clears throat> we are resilient and resilient, not being <clears throat> tough and leathery and sucking it up. Resilience and then how I speak about it, like a virtue is like, it actually has everything to do with heart intelligence. You're flexible, you're adaptable and to be flexible and adaptable, you cannot be prioritizing your ego. Like the ego is always looking for like right, wrong accountability. We sign the contract, conservative, progressive, all the stuff, all these 
choices, you know? Um, whereas love is just like, this is what's happening. It doesn't matter how we got here. Even it doesn't matter how you voted. You know, I'm, I'm watching people right now, you know, back to your theme of like the top of the conversation of all these things that were divided on. <clears throat> and I'm watching how people are so attached to their identities that they are so incredibly offendable. It's like, I identify as this religion. I identify as this political party. I identify on and on, whether you, it's like about being a Gemini or a feminist or a Canadian or whatever. When you are so gripping this way that you are and you aren't, when you are celebrating how different you are from everything around you, instead of, by the way, celebrating our commonalities, which our is where yes. the healing happens, right? Mm -hmm. Then you are going to be so easy to piss off. You are going to be so botherable. And you are probably going to take to social media and say, I never talk about these things, but I just feel really implored because this is such a strong part of my identity. Boom, girlfriend, there's the problem. This is such a strong part of your identity. All mysticism is trying to gently and sometimes not so gently guide us towards having less of a persona, less of a personality, and having our identity be correct and truthful. You know, this is this is basic Buddhism that all suffering comes from identification. This is a very sensitive conversation to have when you're talking about, you know, geopolitical stuff. Um, but it's I'm I'm thinking that's the truth. Yeah. And I love that you're doing that because one of the things that I've observed in um, you know, in my career, seeing, you know tens of thousands of patients and now teaching mm -hmm. uh, practitioners is that we are all, it doesn't matter the, the, the letters behind your, it doesn't matter the years of schooling. It doesn't matter where you come from. We are all more alike than we are different. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that one, one of the first exercises that I do uh, with my practitioners is I ask them why they've joined, let's say the, the certification and they're answers, you know, maybe there's like 20 or 30 people on the call. There are like 20 or 30 answers that are pretty much the same. I want to learn about this. I want to help more women. I want to make more like that. We are all more alike than we are different. And I have people all over the world that, that, that do this course uh, with me. And it's, it's humbling, I think in a way, like, I think that there's like an egoic, we'll say um, need, desire, uh, I'm not sure the right uh, word there, but like there's an egoic uh, drive to say, look at the special snowflake that I am, right? Yeah. Look at yeah. the, look at this, you know, look at the story, look at what I've, let's say, overcome. These are some of the hardships and not, I'm not trying to minimize that in, in any way. Of course, there's most people have gone through um, hardships. Of course, there's the amplitude and frequency and duration and how those might differ, you know, um, and the type of hardships that you, um, that you've endured. Um, but the ego uh, seems to want to grip onto that for dear life and make yes. that part of the through line of our human existence. When in fact, we all have some degree of trauma 
turmoil, something that we all have to get over. And I think that, um, yeah, well, let me, let me let you comment on that and then we can, we well, can go from there. This is the fit. This is when psychology just runs out of steam for me. So you know, like preface so much therapy. Oh my God. I've had all kinds of therapy, different modalities. Um, the great therapists that I've had, I feel have like pretty much saved my life and I owe them and I'm happy to owe them. And the masters want to get you off of their sofa and get you like, just work themselves out of a client, you know? And what can happen is like, yes, we're all traumatized. Birth is traumatizing all the impacts of family of origin stuff, all of it, go to therapy, get a coach, get a holistic medical practitioner, work all that stuff out, see how the, see how the impacts of your, you know, your early days created patterns in your life that you continue to repeat, do it. And then you got to move on. You've got to, at some point, your trauma cannot be central to your identity. It cannot be the reason you write the novel. Like there's so many chapters, there's so many nuances in who you are as a person. And what I see is it's the ego that stays addicted to the therapeutic process, not the heart. The heart, the intelligence of love wants to heal it, see it, move on, forgive wherever possible. It's not always possible for everybody. That's cool. Um, but that the ego mind that is about dividing, that loves to be unhealed, that is always saying worthy, unworthy, past, now, <laughs> future. It's really never in the now. It's either past or future as the, the ego hangs out. It just wants to book more therapy sessions and, um, go to more personal turn, development, <laughs> yeah, more personal development, also buy more self-help books, just get how to be loving and then be (laughs) done with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near-infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster, and of course, stress reduction. With the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna, it's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And I think that in some ways the ego can be a gift in a way, because once totally. we, re- when we realize, so what I think that we, we do is like, oh, I'm not like her, or I'm not like that, or this is mm-hmm. my story. When we stop com- like compartmentalizing and realize that, um, you know, the ego is not, uh, it's not really, a, it, it's, I, I think we think of the ego as this like villain, right? It's like, not mm-hmm. really us. It's like, you know, I reacted like that because of my ego, but it's, it's not 
separate from us. Again, it's, it's part of us. And when we can say, okay, like Thelma and Louise, like we're in it, like you and me ego, like we're in it, you know, just like, that's it. you know, we're, we're here in this together. I think this is the, the springboard maybe, uh, yeah. of, of moving towards holism or becoming more whole. Yeah, that's it. That's I've been, I'm going to use that. The Thelma and Louise approach to your ego. Yeah. The ego is of your creation. The ego is how we figure out, you know, all those masks, the ego points to like who we truly are. It's like no shadow, no light, you know, no fire, no radiance. And so um, I've, I'm borrowing a term. I'm, I really love the teaching of Adya Shanti. You would, you would dig him. A-D-Y-A Shanti. His original name is Steve Miller. I think Steve, somebody hmm. he's like in his sixties, beautiful Californian Zen Buddhist teacher. And he used the term egoing once. It's like ego is more of a verb. It's how you do things. I was like, yes, that's it. So now like the before me used to be like, I was in my ego. I was arrogant. I need to get that girl under control. And, you know, you hear this in our self-help space a lot, you know, the mean girl, how, you know, you got to deal with your mean girl. Yeah. You got to deal with your mean girl with love. And so now instead of saying, oh, I was a little manipulative there. And I just, I got to do something about that. And I'm not that evolved and I'm not that spiritual. I just say, you know what? I was egoing. I just temporarily forgot that I am actually love. I just forgot. And I move on. And by calling the ego a way of being, a behavior, I'm not, there's nothing to battle. There isn't this inner personality disorder to try and dominate or domineer. It's just like, oh, it's a way I can be sometimes. And I'm also taking responsibility for my shadow. My shadow is a part of me. I can be shadowy. I can be so unconscious. And then it also gives me space for when I'm like, wow, I was, I was so loving. And then we go on. Yeah. And it also, I think, you know, when you say it like that, what, what comes up for me, at least with my shadow self being like having these perfectionist tendencies, like welcome to the human race. You know, like welcome to the human race, Steph. Like you're not going to be this shining beacon all the time. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to say something stupid. It's going to, you know, you're going to say something rude, all of those things. And that's, I was egoing. I was, I was doing something. Oopsie. Oopsie as a learned behavior, let's say from my past or something that had to develop that ego to help me maybe survive in that moment. Um, You know, the hyper, you know, I'm speaking to all my type A, like hyper achievers, right? Like all like that, that's something that really served you at a point. I, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a coping mechanism in a way. And I think when you can say, Hey, like, I get it. This, this came from somewhere that was really emotionally salient for me at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay that it showed up today too. Like, it's okay that I have a three-headed monster, you know, as, as well as, you know, self-actualized older, wiser Stephanie, she's in there. There's like baby Steffi. And then there's like the three-headed monster who learned how to, uh, you know, get what she wants because she's afraid of being told that she's not enough or that she's going to be abandoned, mm-hmm. let's say. And loving all of that helps all of it calm down. Your three-headed monster just starts to chill out. It relaxes even your nervous system starts to regulate a bit more and then it doesn't control you. You actually do become a more loving person 
by loving your three-headed monster. That's the thing that we miss that really gets, it's not in the motivational culture. Yeah. You talk in the book about healing our inner child is the most powerful medicine. Like there's nothing else that is as important as that. Can you, um, maybe speak to maybe your own experience if you feel comfortable doing so and, mm-hmm. you know, observations maybe with coaches and people that you've worked with in terms of um, what it looks like to, to forage a relationship with that person. Cause sometimes, and I'll just be very frank here speaking about my own. Um, I'd expect nothing less. Yeah, <laughs> it, it can seem like a lot, like my inner child, sometimes she seems like a lot. And I know that I've been told I'm a lot, I'm bossy, I'm talkative, I'm blah, blah, blah. So sometimes mm-hmm. her needs and her demands, like they just seem like a lot. And it's so easy, you know, in that uh, parable that I read of the book where you're like, it's just like easy for the mind to just like put on the blackout blinds and like you know, mm-hmm. not pay attention. It's so much easier to just be like, gosh, like not now. Like I don't have time now. <laughs> <laughs> Self-love is so inconvenient. So inconvenient. <laughs> well, you know, and the reams of therapy that I mentioned having so many people brought up inner child. This was like, you know, this is like a couple decades ago. And I was just like, are you kidding? That is so lightweight. I was just like really even like kind of grossed out by the concept, you know? And then I was, he's like, I'm a baller. I get stuff done and I'm, you know, I can do whatever I want and I'm a mother. And what I realized, I mean, it took a lot of expertise to kind of get me to this point is that one, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the self-help space about what the inner child is. Um, at least in my perspective, I think there are different opinions and some of them are right and some of them are wrong. Like, you know, my perspective is that the inner child is not you in this lifetime when you were eight years old, 10 or 12, whatever the age is. That's like real Stephanie and whatever happened really happened. Go to therapy, heal, work it out for sure. For sure. The inner child is a symbol. It's a brilliant term that has you just, I mean, as soon as all of us hear the term child, there's a kind of gentle, tender consideration, you know, and it symbolizes your unconscious self, the unhealed part of yourself. Like I, you know, I just did a gig this week in Vancouver and somebody, this is, it was such a, like, just a precise question. It was just like, how do I love myself? I hate myself and I'm an overachiever and I know it's coming from self-hatred. And I was like, boom, that's actually everybody's question. Right. And it's just like, you know what you need to do? Just treat yourself like you're a five-year-old. Really? And those of us who are parents, those of us who love children, whether we've lived with them or not, you know, to care for a child, you feed them good food three times a day on time. You make sure they get enough sleep. When they cry, you have infinite patience. They could come to you every day, the same thing. And you say, what do you need? Oh, you need a hug. I have 10, hundred thousand hugs for you. You know what? You you probably just need some rest. Come on, let's hang out with fun people. Let's laugh. Let's play. If we all treated ourselves like that, we would be living in peaceful places. The world would look so different, but we don't. And we 
override our deepest sensitivity. This is really it. So it's like, you know, you and I, we do, we speak on stage before I would do gigs. I used to get in my kind of hyper motivational way, you know, as I kind of trampoline and I would talk myself up, like I got this, I can do this. I'm a goddess and rah, you know, right. And that's actually for me, not helpful. What's helpful is I take care of the real business, which is just like you're on a family outing. You make sure your kids are chill, fed, taken care of. I talk to my inner self, my inner child. Always make sure there's snacks. Make sure you got snacks. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, I will talk to baby Danielle, little Danielle, however she's showing up that day. And I say, what do you need? And she'll say, um, you hear the simple things like, I really need to get some sleep tonight. Or I love the applause. Or can you hang out with some friends after? Like always very simple, healthy requests. And then once she's taken care of, that I'm 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 in the parent mode. I heard you, I got you, you're coming on stage with me. And I'm a powerful divine mother. I got you and I got this gig. That's wholeness. Wholeness is not, you need to be quiet because I have things to do. Wholeness is not overcoming your fear. You created your fear. Everybody, if you get one thing out of this discussion, maybe this is it. Fear is a product of your mind. You are in control of your mind. I mean, lots of us, our minds are hijacked right now. We're not actually in control of our mind. We're letting the news, et cetera, et cetera, or something someone said out about us 15 years ago hijack our higher thinking. Um, why would you obliterate, ignore, what's the word when you leave your family? Disown. Why would you disown anything that you created? Why? These are mind babies. Your neuroses, your panic, your fear, um, your neediness, they're actually all really beautiful things if you hold them properly. All of it wants your attention. So like when you get into be bossy, Stephanie, like you made, like, that's a great observation. That's an old survival mechanism. It really worked when you were 15 years old. Way to go. Look at where it got you. And now you are so much more. You are so much more loving and so much more aware. You don't need to vibe at that level, but you still got to love bossy Stephanie. And when bossy Stephanie comes up or arrogant Danielle or needy Jane or whoever, you know, rebellious, rebellious Joe, it's just our unhealed self saying, hi, I don't feel safe. And so what do you do? You be the spiritual grown up and you say, in a friendly, warm tone, talk to me. It tells you what it's feeling and you go, okay, I heard you. Guess what? I got you. And you go. Because the motivational culture, the, this oh, shit we've been fed about overcoming our fear. That we get a lot. It's like you have to murder, you have to slay the dragon. It's like you have to get over your fear. Like you have to jump out of the plane. You have, you know, you have to do these things that are burn the boats. Like you have to, it has to be 
adrenaline pumping, uh, chaos and you have to do it anyway. And that is, there's the ego side of jumping out of the plane. And then there's the heart centered aspiration to jump out of the plane. So it's like, if you're jumping out of the plane, so you can look like more of a baller in the life hack culture, and you're just yelling at your, really what's happening is you are just yelling at or suppressing the fear of your inner child, then life is going to wake you up somehow. You're actually not becoming a wholer person. But what happens is the adrenaline and the accomplishment tells us that we achieved. It says success, but it actually is not success. It's like, it's, it's, it's pyrite. It's fake gold. And what can happen is, and you see, you, you, you see this in our space, right? It's like, I was this baller. I was this overachiever. I was this mega, whatever. And then there's a diagnosis or then there's a, a mental breakdown or then there's a panic attack on national television. And that is what, and it doesn't matter whether you're male, female, however you identify, that is your unconscious, unhealed inner child self having the panic attack on international TV, national television. So you can stop and be a more conscious person and say, wow, I got some stuff under my hood. I better look at, maybe I should not be jumping out of planes for a while so I can learn what it is to be inclusive. Now, the heart center part of us that jumps out of planes, go do it because you feel more alive. You feel closer to God. You feel like this is great for your nervous system. You are pushing limits that have you be more vivacious and vibrant. And you're actually, you're, but you're taking your fear with you. So I've, I've got this and I want to expand and, and I'm bringing my fear with me on my plane, on the plane. There's like a gentle fierceness to it. Whole different experience. Yeah. You had a similar, uh, when you were in Toronto, I was watching your talk and you were talking about, I believe it was volunteering maybe at a soup kitchen or activism in general. And you had said something like, you know, the small self uh, or maybe the shadow self, let's say, wants to save the world to feel bigger. And the heart self wants to heal the world because it simply needs healing. Like you can, you can have the same response, but the stimulus that initiates the actions that lead to the response are very different. Like you're either coming from a shadow self, let's say, where maybe at the soup kitchen, you're like, I'm going to virtue signal and put it on Instagram that I went to the soup kitchen to, uh, you know, help my local community. Or you can say, these could be my children. I could also lose everything and not have food and need to go to a soup kitchen to feed my family. And we're all the same. We're all the same. We're more alike than we are different. These people who are down on their luck or whatever has happened to them, um, are no different than from me. Yes. Can we talk about virtue signaling? Yes please. This is where I'm at with it right now. Just let it happen. Just let the virtue signalers signal because for there's two reasons. And from my heart on this one, 
your relationship to your soul, which is where your virtue is born from, to your heart is it's between you and you. It is not for me to say if that was legit love or that was faux love. How can I tell if you are burning karma? If that, I don't, I don't know how your soul is made up, if that's some kind of destiny thing. If you're going to meet someone while you're virtual signaling, that's going to change your life. That's going to help you heal more people. Don't know. I have to leave so much room for mystery. Okay. Some people are clearly virtue signaling. And and some of us have the wisdom to see that. We go, wow, that was clearly just a tax write-off. That was so much about the PR. Virtue, love, levels of consciousness. It, it begins as concepts. We need to let people play with virtue. Let them, let it be knowledge first. Let it just be information. Let it be a PR stunt. And then I think the, the benefit of it might start to come around to them. Be like, you know, you know, I just said those politically correct things on social media and I used that hashtag because I didn't want to get canceled or I wanted to look good. I wanted more followers, but you know, I got all these DMs. I really started to see how we're more alike than we are different. And there's this softening. There's like a legit kind of relaxation of the ego and some love starts happening. And they're like, well, maybe I'm going to double down on this cause. And they get further down the road and they might wake up and go, wow, was I ever faux generous, faux forgiving, faux inclusive before, but I'm not anymore. Like when we rush in with the, all this judgment, all this canceling that's happening, finger wagging, like all the The finger wagging, you know, everybody got an inner Karen, shut up. Right. It's like when we do that, it's just another form of attack. It's really, I mean, this is, we're really get, really getting nuanced now, but it's like, that is a virtue turning into a vice by calling a virtue a vice. Like it's crazy. Just let people love or practice at love, the level that they're at. And that is your act of love to hold space for faux love because faux love evolves into how to be loving. And we've all done that. We've all kind of, you know, everyone's heard like fake it till you make it. We've all kind of done that where it didn't feel uh, like it was, it still felt cerebral, let's say, didn't feel somatic yet, still felt like it was kind of a concept, a mechanism, a pathway to memorize versus something that you felt was cellular. Like you felt it was, you know, integrated into the mitochondria or wherever, you know? Yeah. I love talking to you. Your language, your phrases are so biology. I'm just like, right. <laughs> Stimulus. Yes. Right. All these stuff, med words. I love it. I apologize yeah. for my training. No. <laughs> I can only rise okay. to my weakest link. I apologize. Uh, well, I let talking about virtues, um, the seven, I know you cover seven virtues in the book and you know, I, I sort of in, in jest was like, introduce me to the people who know how to forgive. And we've had Gabby. Gabby's been on the show. She was just divine. Um, let, let's talk about forgiving. And I love, yeah. love, 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 love what you wrote about forgiving. <laughs> Maybe because it's something I need you to love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, you said the heart <laughs> is for 
dot, dot, dot. Giving. Giving. I was like, oh God. <laughs> That's it, right? Like it's such a little new age kind of, I, I try and steer away from the new age play on words like, you know, uh, atonement, at one which is what atonement really means. But anyway, um, I think it's our natural state. I think if you just are still and really want to be in your heart, you will actually default to forgiving. It's just the mind comes in and it talks you out of it. Like I've had this experience before. Like I got in this car accident. This guy T-boned me. It's totally his fault. He was such a sweetheart. And, um, you know, if you're responsible for an accident and the documentation says that your insurance is going to go up a lot for a long time. He didn't want that to have to happen. And I just like, I'm good. I walked up my car, it was totaled, but God was with me. I walked away from that. And I told everybody like, I'm good. Like, I'm just gonna, you know, he just wants to give me some cash and, and, and some caramels. He brought me some candy and I let myself, I take total responsibility. I let myself get talked out of it. Everybody said, no, something could happen to you down the road. Or, you know, this is what insurance is for, Danielle. And you've been paying into the system. And I st- that still does not set, sit well with me. I wish I could find that guy and have it st- stricken from his record. Um, what doesn't sit well with you that, you that you went through insurance or that you didn't go through insurance? Sorry, that wasn't clear to me. That I did go through insurance. Oh, that I, that I went okay. for formality. Right. That I, I let myself be a part of the system. And I just want to be like, yeah, it's okay, dude. It's all right. I'm good. It's okay. Accidents happen. That's why they're called accidents. Not everybody needs to pay for it, you know? And then there's been these, you know, other times I had another, actually, I haven't talked about this. I had another time where I wanted to let someone off the hook professionally, but we had a legal contract and I made the mistake of calling my lawyer. Say, I just, you know, want to run this by you. What should I, you know, what do you think? Well, a lawyer, you know, is going to give you the legal perspective. They're always in like, no, no shade to lawyer, but they're always inflammatory. Like their job is to be inflammatory. Yeah. If you got a hammer, everything is a nail, right? Yeah. 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 And so in both these cases, I stepped out of my heart and I let my ego call the shots. And instead of just forgiving what this other person, the mistake they had made business-wise, I held them to the terms of the contract. It's another thing. I've had to actually work on forgiving myself for both of those things. That was my other question. So forgiving the other person. And then now that you've been reflecting, what does the process of forgiveness look like for the self? And it doesn't. this doesn't mean that we let, let's say someone has done something terrible to us, present, past, whenever. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean that we're saying, hey, what you did was all right. But it's letting go. I remember um, there was a a quote and I'm going to totally ruin it right now, but it was (laughs) something like um, forgiveness is, or uh, holding a grudge is maybe the opposite of holding a grudge is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yes. That's such a brilliant poetic phrase. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go on to forgive, let's say the person who air quotes, did you wrong, legally got into the car accident um, 
and also yourself for maybe the way that you regressed in that moment? I find it easier to forgive other people than myself. Um, Because I'm just like, oh, we're all bozos on the bus and you didn't know any better and it's okay. You know, it's, I'm making it sound flip, but I like, I can do the work and I can get there. So I just do the practices. Like I have to circumnavigate the mind to get back into my heart. So I do the whole Onopono prayer, the whole Onopono prayer, those four simple phrases. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Most of us are advised to offer that prayer to the person that you know, we want to come back into harmony with, and that's beautiful. It's such a gorgeous intention to do it, but how we do it in our heart-centered leadership community is we work with people to offer that prayer to themselves, because if you can create that softening of the mind and have that guilt, just relax a bit, then you can start to forgive somebody else. And this, you know, you, you can run this down to like the depths of if we're all one and we're all from the same source, which, you know, I believe we are, then to forgive yourself is really you're forgiving other and just, just start with you. You can forgive that you don't want to forgive. You can ask your higher power for guidance on how to forgive. Just like, um, this is really hard for me. I can't even imagine what it would be like to get to the other side of forgiveness with this person but I want to forgive. I want peace. I want to feel at peace. I really am not wishing ill on them. Just guide me to forgiveness. And, you know, may take an hour, could take months. You will start to think different thoughts and your tone will change and you will say different things to yourself internally, to them internally and externally. And that's the shift. Yeah. I think that is, um, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's so profound and, um, and so useful to actually, you know, turn that on yourself and the forgiveness. I think that there's sometimes a pressure that we feel like we have, you know, maybe we have to forgive people or it has to be done now, but there is a question that you asked at, um, at change maker, you would ask the audience a question and you said, okay, whether that's, you know, that's that it whether it's a positive emotion or a negative emotion, ask yourself, like, what is it, what would it look like? Or what, I don't think you said the word costing you, but you said like, what does, what would it look like to continue on this path? Right? Like, yes. what would it look like to, in, in this case of forgiveness, not forgive your parent, ex boyfriend, mother, oh whatever. Um, what What would happen if you allow this to continue this thought to continue? Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was a very, um, cause I think we get caught up in the, you know, the, as you said, like the ego is always in the past and you just like, you, you, you know, you ruminate on, they did this, but they said that, and then they did this to me and then that happened. But what is the cost of carrying that going forward? I think is a, is a great question. Um, and we were talking about some of the physiology around like the stress and the nervousism and all the things yes. like, what does, what does it cost you? A lot. Your sanity. I, my observation with people, cause I, I really want to for, forgiving is like my next big topic. I'm going to do a whole course on forgiveness. And my observation is um, people want to forgive. Like, you, you know, I was talking to a girlfriend recently 
you know, she was embroiled in this business division. And I said, but don't you really just want to forgive? And before her mind could jump in, I saw her whole body relax and she started nodding, but then you can see the thinking start to jump. And well, here's all the reasons why I shouldn't. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. And it will require some consistent work. Like I think we lack imagination when it comes to forgiving. Like we really have a hard time imagining. But my what what I see, I've experienced this a few times myself. Whenever you talk to someone who's forgiven some really big, juicy demeanor that happened in their life, something that looked like, you know, it was done to them, it's a high. It changes their whole life. Like they feel this kind of indomitable freedom. power. Yeah. yeah, this freedom. Mm-hmm. And I had had this forgiveness conversation with a friend once where it was beautiful. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we're crying in the cafe. It's all, it's incredible. And we both left 10 feet off the ground. I wanted to hug, you know, I was going back to my car and I just want to say like, I love you. I love you. And stranger, I love you. And I love you. It's life-changing. Yeah. I want to do a slight hard left. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, and this was um, a conversation I was I was telling um, a friend that I was going to be speaking to you today, and she was like, "Can you ask her what mm. her relationship is with God?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought that this was such an interesting the way that she had paraphrased it. Mm. I'll say the way that I see you is almost like a, a modern day uh, priestess, in that you speak about. And I'm sorry to all the theologians and people who've studied uh, science because I or studied, studied religion because I haven't, and it'll be apparent in, when I say this. But um, you speak about the virtues, let's say, the resilience, the radiance, the wisdom, the forgiveness, the love. These all seem very, uh, we'll say, Christ-like. Yes. In that it is the original intention, let's say, of Mary Magdalene and Christ and the message that they were propagating. And then you get sort of, you have that sort of what I think about. You're teaching a lot of these virtues, a lot of this like very ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then I think about the the business of the church, let's say, and like modern day, what, what it means to be... Uh, you know, someone who, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I can just speak to that, like, you know, like what a, you know, a, a church going uh, Catholic person, family, you know, they seem to be almost at odds with each other. Like, you you know, they, they seem to be, and I can say this because I have heard this, you know, spoken in like church communities and stuff, very, uh, in many ways, xenophobic, uh, mm-hmm. and many ways exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the people who are not in this religion are going to die and burn in hell in this way, you know. Mm-hmm. And like even just the story, we don't even have to get in there. But the story of Mary Magdalene, like I grew up thinking she was a slut, like she was the yeah. ultimate slut, and like he took pity on her. Meanwhile, she's like the apostle to the apostles. Yes. Um. So, um, with all that in mind, I just. Mm-hmm would love to hear your view on religion, love, Christianity, the whole, the whole shebang. Well, most organized religion is based on a punishment system. 
So that's the antithesis of love and inclusiveness. There's not much more to say about that. Um, there's, there can be lots of genuine virtue and love within that container, but you have to be wide awake to take what you want and leave the rest. Um, most organized religion is set up to place the divine outside of yourself and have you earn your way back to it. I can tell you what I've learned about God has come through how I parent my kid and the, you know, I would hope unconditional love I have for him, lots of imperfections and he's an easy kid to love, but, um, I have never tested my child. I have never had him earn my love. I think any conversation around whether he is worthy or unworthy of my unconditional love is just laughable and absurd. And I will be there for him, you know, till the end of time. And I think that that's just a hint at how God loves us, like without condition. I tell you, one of the most paradigm rocking teachings I've come across last three or four years was from hermetic often called Kemetic philosophy, Egyptian stuff. And it's, it's three teachings that get bundled together, that God neither punishes, nor rewards, nor protects. God neither, God is not punishing you. God is not rewarding you. God is not protecting you. This is like a landmines in the paradigm of organized religion. I was like, what? God's not punishing me, then who's punishing me? I'm punishing me. Oh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm um, doing that all by myself. Who's rewarding me? Who's, well, I get to reward me. I actually get to design a beautiful, abundant life with what I've been given to work with. Okay. Well, oh my gosh, I feel a little vulnerable. Who's, who's protecting me? I get to protect me by calling on God for protection, by eating clean food, by being loving, by vibrating in a certain level so that lots of attacks or lower vibration stuff just kind of, you know, slide off. So my relationship now with God is a little more Buddhist in that I feel that God is in everything. And therefore I'm interconnected with everything, with the trees and your happiness and the microphone and all the stuff. And that I'm getting a little more Zen these days. Like I am both empty and full and I can turn to the God force. I can turn to life. I can turn to the divine. I can turn to the mother through plants, through my relationship with my male partner, through my kid. Like I am really starting to, understand this intellectual concept of God being in everything. And it's been, I mean, I say this in kind of a cheeky way, but it's like, it's profoundly relaxing because I have lived most of my life and it's still so baked into me, especially being a Catholic, a recovered Catholic or a former Catholic. I don't even know anymore. You know, um, I don't identify with any religion. But like I have lived my life on this axis of guilt and performance that I, I just replaced Catholicism with new ageism 
instead of like the 10 commandments and earning divine favors, it's like, I'm going to burn my karma. I'm going to do more yoga. I am going to be a great meditator. And all of that, I am sorry to say, and I am relieved to declare is all the work of the ego that I need to be, I need to do better at being spiritual. I am spiritual. I am made of spirit. I just need to remove all the illusions that I am anything less than divine. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have radically simplified my spiritual practices, plural. It's like addition through subtraction. That's right. Yeah. It's like the onion. You know, you just, the more you peel it, the more you cry, but then at the end you have like a great sauce. <laughs> It's the Tootsie Pop. It's all of it. Yes. It's the seed. Every time I get to hang out with you, I feel, I mean, you're, I mean, you have to know that your voice is like velvet, but I do agree with some of the, uh, you know, at the, at the top of our conversation, you were saying, well, I don't really leave my house, but people are telling me that my energy uh, is different. And I would say um, in the past hour, and a quarter uh, that we've been together. There has been um, like, I just, even though this is a two dimensional, we're kind of over zoom and like, I've kind of picking up on, on the, on those vibes. And I actually feel very chilled out right now. So uh, I love any time I get to spend with you. It's just time well spent. And thank you for writing this book. I can't wait um, to follow and see um, where your, um, where your journey uh, continues into forgiveness. I think that's going to be a really, really juicy topic for so many people. Mm, Thank you. I love hanging with you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, the book is everywhere, right? Where it's out at the time of this recording, it's already out. So we will, uh, we're moving up this production of this conversation, but how to be loving as your heart is breaking open and our world is waking up. It's all mom and pa shops. Find a mom and pa shop, buy the book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the places. Yes. Yes. Danielle, until our next text message. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you everybody. so much. All right, all right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 